All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of FAIR's Understanding Immigration podcast. We have a special episode today. We are at FAIR's annual Hold Their Feet to the Fire. We've done a couple of these in the past, but... 15 to be exact. 15 now. Wow. Yes, sir. It's, it's kind of crazy. I think this is this is uh, my, Spencer Rayleigh, FAIR's Director of Research. This is my, I believe, sixth Hold Their Feet to the Fire. We missed 2020 because of COVID and all of that. But, Ron, this is, this is your first time yep. at the event. We just... Honestly, you started at Fair, what, about three, four months ago? Yeah, about three months ago. And so yeah. you just started, we just threw you off the deep end. Oh, like you were critical in putting this thing together yeah. and making sure it went off without a hitch. So just now that we're actually at the end of it and kind of wrapping up, what are your thoughts? Like, how, how was this experience? Yeah, well, you know, feet to fire definitely threw my feet into the fire, first yeah, of no all. Kidding. I'll say that. I'll say that. <laughs> we had Congressman Brian Babbitt on. We had Border Patrol. We had Art Del Cueto on. We had Tony Pham from ICE. We had Sabine Coulter, who, you know, she was an angel mom. Mom. I mean, yeah, yeah, so just, many experiences, so many stories, and I feel like I only met a fourth of the people here. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, and I think especially this year, you know, we're right up against a really important election. We had a lot of people that were asking to come, you know, members of Congress that wanted to reach out to their constituents and their hometowns. We've had how, how many radio hosts? We're over, over 60? We had, we had 66 to be exact, wow. a combination of local and national. I mean, yeah. people from all over the place were coming in. And, you know, I think what we could really owe it to is just the chaos we're seeing right. at our border right, right. now. Right. We, we would rather have had to work a little harder to get these hosts here and not have, like, this national crisis at the yeah. southern border. But, hey... I think it's important. I noticed just from the interviews that I did throughout these last couple of days, the American people are noticing what's going on. They care about it. You don't. You just have to look at any national poll to see that President Biden is not polling well when it comes to immigration, and that's not going to change. And so, yeah, I think it's just really, it's just been a really important uh, event. I know every year we say like this is our biggest and greatest and most impactful, but this one did just feel especially impactful, at least in my opinion. Yeah, of course, and it, it was a really huge event. And I think I think the current events are what we really owe it to. Um, one right, thing that right. happened recently, I mean, just last week, the whole Martha's Vineyard, you know, mm -hmm. 50, 50 illegal aliens getting shipped there from Governor DeSantis, mm -hmm. and we have so many different perspectives on the matter, and it seems like almost everyone's willing to talk about it. I mean, kind of like we've had different social issues at the time, which mm -hmm. I mean, you know, from twenty twenty COVID. It, all the way up right, until now right. it seems like you know almost every six or seven months mm -hmm. we have a new topic which is really the hot button topic people are talking about Absolutely. and it seemed like the whole Martha's Vineyard ordeal I mean whether it's because we ended up you know sending illegal migrants all the way over to you know where these vacation homes are you know people are starting to realize what's going on but it really seems like this is starting to be the issue of the time and the issue of what people are really focusing on just because it's so blatantly obvious I mean here in Washington DC you know we've had the buses from Abbott come you know New York City right, Chicago right. everywhere in the country is experiencing mm -hmm. this now and truly every state is becoming a border state absolutely and we're really just seeing the hypocrisy of the open borders lobby you know they yeah. want that problem to stay in these border states like texas and arizona they don't want it coming to their backyard and so again just all of this happening has really shown a light on how hypocritical that movement is and the american people have noticed it so what you are going to hear, you know, over the next, you know, 30, 40 minutes are just these different interviews from the individuals that Ron mentioned. And, and Ron, you did all these interviews. I kind of feel like I'm getting the I'm, I'm getting the podcast off. So, oh, uh, come on. so we appreciate it. <laughs> I'll, on, I'll, I'll definitely be on in future episodes, hopefully just talking about some more of these issues and, you know, hopefully some of the progress that's been made on it. So uh, without further ado, we're going to dive right into all these other great uh, interviews that you did. Yeah. And I, I think everyone's going to enjoy them. 
Joining me at Fair's booth here at Feet to Fire 2022, I have with me Congressman Brian Babin from Texas. Congressman Babin is a veteran, a dentist, and a Texas native. He's been in Congress since 2015, and he's a member of the House Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure and the House Committee on Science, Space, and Technology. First off, Congressman Babin, how are you doing today? I'm, How's doing, I'm doing great, Ron. Good to be with you. It's great to be here as well. Hey, you know, tell me about this event so far. Have you been having some good interviews? We have. Some good people? We have. We're, we're talking all over the country. That's the value of this, of this uh, the way you you guys have this thing set up. Uh, we've, we've, we've talked to Wisconsin, we've talked to New York, we've talked to uh, uh, to uh, uh, Seattle, Washington, and, oh and gosh, just, it's all just over wonderful. Yeah, because, and I want to say thank you uh, to the news outlets that are here to get the truth out because on the border situation it's being blacked out by most of the mainstream media. Thank oh, yeah. you for, for getting the truth out because you know, Americans are getting ready to, to make a decision in November, and they have to make a wise decision because our country is headed in a direction that I think is going to lead to disaster. Yeah. And the border is, is, is one of the worst problems. Of course, of course. And, you know, yeah. that's part of the reason we hold this event here. You know, we want to make sure we're holding the Biden administration's feet to the fire when it comes to the immigration issue because we all know right now, you know, their border policy, it seems like there is none. When it comes to, you know, almost anything illegal immigration related, it seems like Biden came into office day one, kind of dis undid everything that Trump did, and then from then on out, you know, hasn't really paid attention to the issue. So, you know, I had a couple questions here for you. I wanted to know, uh, what are the immigration policies that you think are in the best interest of the American people? What kind of things do you think we need to change? What things are good? What do you want to see? Well, under President Trump, yeah. the policies that were implemented were wonderful. Was the border completely secure under President Trump? No, but it was better than it had ever been, I oh, think. Yeah. And uh, the Biden administration, uh, you know, contrary to what they were told by some of the professionals in the Trump administration, don't get rid of these policies. Build the wall. Uh, continue with with uh, with uh, Title 42. Continue on with, uh, you know, remain in Mexico. Uh, and those are the things that that uh, President Trump and his people did. Uh, and they had the cooperation, and they forced. Not, not willingly, some yeah. of the northern triangle countries and Mexico did not want to do some of these things. But let me tell you, Trump knows how to work a deal. Oh, yeah. And uh, he, can, he can turn the heat up under the feet of these, these nations, and they came to the table uh, wonderfully. Unfortunately, uh, under the Biden administration, they, 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 they totally ignored every, every bit of advice that was given to them. And uh, now we've got a situation that's the worst border crisis in the history of the United States of America, where we've had over four million people come in, uh, and that includes, uh, you know, probably some, some of the 800,000 gotaways, overwhelming our educational systems uh, in the state of Texas, our healthcare facilities, the crime that's going on. Uh, the, the, you know, we've got our own domestic homegrown criminals. Yeah. Uh, and now you add uh, thousands and thousands of convicted illegal alien criminals that have served time, committed crimes in the United States, yeah. served time in the United States, been deported, and now come back in uh, again only to be caught. Yeah. Uh, and 78, 78 suspected terrorists have been caught. Uh, coming in as well. How many have not been caught? That's that's what I worry about, Ron. Exactly, exactly. We yeah. got to worry about that gotaway number. As a fair study said, you know, we have over 900,000 gotaways that we've witnessed at the border just in this fiscal year alone. That's right. So you know, we have a huge problem with that. We don't know what their intentions are, and you know, we look at July numbers alone. We had almost over 60, you know, people who are on the terrorist watch list who ended up being caught at our border, beating the past four years combined. It's you know absolutely wild what's right. going on right now, and we have all these criminals coming in. You did touch on something that I thought 
thought was interesting. You know, the healthcare perspective, letting in all these illegal, all these illegal this, immigrants. This is the, the new D.C. Uh, 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 city song right here. Oh, We're listening yeah. to it. Sorry about that. Of course, of course. Hey, you know, after we get those buses in town, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, Mayor Bowser doesn't like this. That's that's for sure. Yeah, of course, of course. You know, after you know, we look at what two cries for help from uh, the National Guard trying to come in. I mean, it's just absolutely wild. Look what fifty did in Martha's Vineyard. They had to call out the National Guard. Can oh, you yeah. imagine? Fifty people came in illegally. Uh, we get that in about five minutes down on our southern border in Texas. Yeah. And, you know, imagine if Biden ended up deporting, uh, you know, the people coming across the border the same way they deported them from Martha's Vineyard within 24 hours. I know. How would that be? Total hypocrisy, Ron. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. So, you know, something else I wanted to know is, you know, part of being the Transportation Infrastructure Committee, obviously a big part of your role in Congress here. What do you think illegal immigration is putting a tax on our infrastructure for? You know, is, do you think it's causing issues? Or is it letting more people in? What do you think? Huge. It's huge. I have one of, I have the third fastest growing school district in the state of Texas. And the reason is because of the children of illegal immigrants that have come in. They're lovely kids. Uh, you know, we're, uh, many of them are, are, are doing a fine job in school, but it puts an enormous, enormous burden on the taxpayers of the great state of Texas. In fact, I represent nine counties in, in southeast Texas, Houston over to Louisiana, basically. Of those nine counties, seven of my counties have already passed county resolutions calling it an invasion at the border. Okay. Because of the of, of the problems uh, that they that that they're seeing all around the country and in in uh, in their, our part of the state, every state is a border state now. Really, every county is a border county now. Yeah, of course, and I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, we look at it. You know, we were talking about the buses a little bit while those sirens were going by, coming from right. you know coming from Texas, coming from Arizona, coming from Florida, shipping them on up here. And you know, we see cities like New York City, millions of people in the city, and they're not able to handle a few thousand migrants. You know, what are they thinking down in Eagle Pass, Texas? Places like your district. I mean, what are we what are we talking about there? The, the load that these cities have to try to bear. It is enormous. And you know, I, one thing I, I was headed there, and I I, I kind of lost track, but. The cost of illegal immigration to the United States now, this, this just came out the other day, mm. is about $20 billion a year. That's what yeah. it's costing us. And that is $4 billion more than the total cost of Trump's border wall. Yeah. Think what we would have saved had Biden gone ahead and finished the wall that Congress has already voted to, to appropriate the funds for. And the materials are just lying there, rusting away down there. And they say walls are inhumane and immoral. As, as, we, as they say these types of things, we see Biden spending millions putting a wall around his vacation home. Obama, the same thing up there in, uh, near Martha's Vineyard. Yeah. Uh, we, we see Pelosi behind walls. If walls are so immoral, why do they live behind walls? Yeah. Walls work. They make for good neighbors. Yeah. And, and you that's know, what we need. If we're using that $20 billion on illegal immigrants, what do you think that could go for to maybe help, you know, homeless veterans? Absolutely. As a veteran myself, I mean, it, it just tears in my heartstrings to see a homeless veterans, uh, living in tents, not being cared for, not getting the, the benefits that they actually earn by wearing the uniform and standing up for our freedoms. And yet we see illegal aliens coming in, getting free education, free health care, uh, free cell phones, uh, a ticket to anywhere they want to go in the, in the uh, United States. And it's laughable when you, you, you these people that are going to, to here, coming here to D.C. or to Chicago or up to Mayor Adams in, in New York or, or Martha's Vineyard, Every one of those individuals, those illegals, 
signed a paper saying they volunteered to go. They knew where they were coming, mm -hmm. and 50 of them, you know, the, the Martha's Vineyard folks in Massachusetts, I mean, they, they basically kind of went a little over the, over the edge by calling out the National Guard. Yeah. And now, within one week, those illegal entries, those illegal people that broke the law coming in, are now filing a suit against Florida and, and Governor yep. DeSantis. I mean, wrap your head around that. That's, that's like a bank robber having the government provide him a lawyer to sue the bank. Exactly. To sue the police department. <laughs> it, it makes no sense whatsoever. Oh, yeah, of course, of course. And, you know, I, I think one of the funny things about that case is that they're trying to say that he's doing something wrong when all of them voluntarily said they would go. I mean, right. I'm not sure about you, but I know I would love a free trip to Martha's Vineyard. <laughs> I mean, why not? Why would you not be jumping on the, on the plane to get over there? Absolutely. And ironically, here we are at the end of the Martha's Vineyard season up there, and I imagine there was a lot of vacancies that they could have put these people in, oh, yeah. and yet, yet very quickly they were busted out of there yeah of course of course you know they blame not having the resources but I mean when you have a medium inco median income like that place how do you not have resources for that I mean if they're expecting places like you know your hometown to be front of the front of the burden of all this That's you know right. how uh, how is this affecting your district tell me a little bit it's one of the top issues in my district uh, I think they uh, the, the American people see what's happening I think probably the top issue would be inflation the cost of gasoline food and the cost of living uh, uh, but I can tell you the crime that has come on, our, our, as I said a while ago, our own homegrown domestic uh, criminals, mm -hmm. add the thousands and thousands of illegal alien uh, uh, criminals that are coming in uh, to that. And uh, you've got people that don't feel safe in their neighborhoods. Uh, I, I mean, I was just, just standing right here talking to some staffers, uh, yeah. with my staffers uh, here behind me. You don't go to this, this train station at night here anymore. There's, there's a crime wave going all over this nation, but primarily in the blue cities and blue states and blue counties. That's where the crime, the uh, criminal activity is happening. Uh, 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 Democrat DAs, Democrat uh, state district judges, are, it's a revolving door. Somebody will be, the, the police will do their job, but they're out on the streets within hours uh, on, on personal recognizance, low bail to commit more criminals. I represent part of Houston. Nearly 200 people have died in Houston from recidivism, who, who have been, been out on bail, murdered before, and then they get out, uh, allowed out by, by a Democrat judge to only just to go out and kill some other innocent person. This is what's happening. These DAs, George Soros, no wonder he funds so many of these district attorney races around the country, including Houston. Uh, we we uh, obviously they want to see chaos. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's a crisis. It's a crisis, and we definitely want to see an end to right. it. I know you and I both do. But you know, I think we're up against it here. I think that's all the time we have for today. Really appreciate you joining us here, and I uh, hope you all join us on the next Understanding Immigration. Thank, Thank you, Ron. You. Appreciate have it. A good one. God bless. Joining me now, I have Tony Pham, former acting director and principal legal advisor of United States Immigration and Customs Enforcement under President Donald Trump. Pretty impressive title there we got there, Tony. Tell me a little bit about what you were doing in the Trump administration. No, I appreciate it. My, my first tenure was as the PLA for ICE, so I was the chief immigration lawyer for the department. Uh, and, you know, it was an eye-opening experience because COVID hit in March, right right after I, I came up there in January. 
but we had the obligation of trying to figure out ways to continue the the removal hearings that were having to occur because we didn't want to slow down the process uh, of allowing these migrants to have their day in court uh, and receive these uh, removal hearings. Um, you know, some some months later, but I'll, I'll tell you this. One equity that most people don't realize or know about or may have forgotten is at the end of the day when COVID hit, we had you know airports internationally shutting down because of the pandemic. Yeah. We had an enormous number of individual United States citizens who were stranded abroad. Uh, one incident uh, that, that I remember fondly were there was a whole class of students who were on mission in South America. And at the end, they had no way of getting home um, they had no notification from the consulate that uh, the international airports that they flew into in the foreign country was shut down. And so we, um, from the administration side, were scrambling to figure out a way on how do we repatriate and go get our people. Because that was sort of somewhat outside of, of, of the mission set, but we knew how important it was to bring home our U.S. citizens back home so they can be with their families. Yeah. So the legal, the principal legal advisor, uh, we were able to research a unique authority um, that existed called Space Available Flights. And so ICE was the only equity that had the authority to bring people home from wow. abroad after we do a removal flight. So mm. as we removed uh, or we sent a plane of, of, of individuals that were being removed to the United States, we made sure that we coordinated um, to get as many uh, of our U.S. citizens to that airport. Yeah. And so um, the crazy part is the regulation required the principal legal advisor to sign off on every authorization to authorize the, the flight to be returned home. It was a unique authority, uh, had never been implemented before. Um, but, you know, quite frankly, I'll tell you, you know, these opportunities to lead and these opportunities to make a difference in people's lives don't come around that often. And so I was perfectly fine in, in, in staying awake. You know, time zones are different. There were times I'd be up at 2 in the morning making sure that when the email came over and the manifest came over, I did my part to review them to make sure that we had dotted our I's and crossed our T's. But that was a proud moment um, in my service uh, in the administration and especially to the American people that we didn't we didn't leave anyone behind intentionally, yeah. unlike Afghanistan. We exactly, didn't leave anyone exactly. behind. We did everything we did, could. We, 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 we dusted off every single legal equity we could find, and my team found it. And so it was a wonderful moment. I, I, I find it funny because my congressman at the time, Congressman, congressman Congresswoman Spanberger, yep. would get on the television and talk about how she worked so hard to bring one person home. And, and I'm thinking, we brought yeah. 4,000. And day. we needed to talk about that a little bit more. But now that I'm out of, of service, I can talk about it freely. Um, but that was a proud moment for my team because I knew how important it was to bring home these kids, especially the college kids, yeah. so they could be with their family. So that was an experience that I had that, that really shaped my commitment to the workforce because they, you know, they, they were just as invested in helping as much as we could during a pandemic. And that was lucky to be elevated as the acting director right around August yeah. um, at the retirement of the previous director. Um, this was right before the election. Yeah. And I will tell folks- Busy uh, time. You know, it, was a, it was a very hectic time, especially after the very first week of being in there, just trying to figure out where the bathroom was in yeah, my office. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, protesters targeted my wife and kids and came to my home uh, and, and, and protested them um, in, in Virginia. And um, talk about 
being in a position where you had to make an informed decision uh, about continue on with your obligations to your organization, but balancing that also with your obligation as a father and a husband, right? So it, I, I look back upon it now fondly because I had an opportunity to experience that. Thankfully, no one was hurt. Some people were prosecuted, supposedly. Um, but I took that as, uh, it, they didn't scare me. I dug my heels in deeper. And so I went ahead and we went forward with a lot of our operational footprints that we ran in, in the tail end of 2020. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I'm really sorry to hear about that experience. Yeah. I mean, I guess, you know, that's that's kind of the state of the world of politics today. I mean, whether it's a Supreme Court judge, whether it's your house, I mean, it's it, it's a travesty. But, you know, we're here to talk about immigration, yep. so I want to stick to that right sure. now. What we're talking about, uh, when you, you kind of touched on this a little bit, when we're talking about different ICE policies, when you're doing different flights, you know, different time zones are a, a big factor. But, you know, as a legal advisor, I'm sure you have to deal with different states state and city boundaries when it comes to making sure that we're getting people transported, correct? Well, on the tail end of the removal flight, what, what, and that's more of an operational footprint. Okay. So for ERO, our enforcement removal operations team, they would typically get landing documents uh, on the tail end working with the consulate. So after all of the migrants' uh, Title Eight proceedings would occur, the removal order is done, all the appeals are taken care of, yeah. um, we would work with the, the, the nationals um, host country to get landing documents and that's where the removal process would occur. We do move them to certain landing pads in, internally, the states where we have direct flights that can be moved out directly to that, uh, that, that host country. Yeah. Um, but the interesting part is when we talk about immigration policy, what do we do with Im nations that or who refuse to take back their own nationals? They f refuse to repatriate their nationals. Um, there were countries, believe it or not, that when we had a plane full of foreign nationals that are eligible for removal, they refused to take them. Cuba would be one of them, just so you know. Mm -hmm. um, I can name that one, um, yeah. Cuba. And, and it's odd that we're having a major influx of Cuban migrants now through the southwest border that far outnumber the typical um, individuals we would find from the Northern Triangle. Yeah. And so we, th this administration needs to figure out what equity will they use to influence and nudge and push and convince Cuba to take back their foreign nationals uh, if they're stopped at the border or if they're arrested in the interior? Do you think that's an effort they're going to do to try to get the Cubans back? No. Okay. That was really a rhetorical <laughs> question. Um, I have this, you know, my, my, my sense is, in just looking at what the policy makeup is, this, this administration um, engaged in what I can only describe as a scorched earth policy, right? You come oh, yeah. in, very first thing, and because everything that the previous administration did was perceived as evil and whatever, they just ripped everything apart without having a pragmatic plan in place. Now, anyone that has operational experience understands that that, that has catastrophic impact. That has a catastrophic uh, effect, right? Mm -hmm. And, and it, it, it's, this, this, this team has shown that they lack the capacity to put in place pragmatic plans and, and procedures, policies that will, that will that will implement their vision of immigration without destroying and opening up the border completely. Yeah. I mean, you think about the Afghanistan withdrawal. I mean, that, they, they, they had to know the date, right? Yeah. I mean, the president exactly. announced we're going exactly. to be leaving Afghanistan. DOD and DOS, you kind of want to get together yeah. and figure this out. And we still had the mass chaos that occurred. And that's inexplicable and unacceptable. And I will tell you this, the lack of, of what I call accountability, not one person that I know of was either reprimanded or terminated from their position in either DOD or DOS. And we lost 13 members uh, of our military 
because of their poor, poor performance and poor planning, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing with immigration. That's why we have historic number of migrant deaths here on U.S. soil now. Their policies are like a dinner bell. It's yeah. ringing and it's opening up our borders so more, more people are now willing to make that treacherous journey to cross over horribly dangerous uh, tides and, and, and streams in the river on the, on the hope and knowing that if they are able to make it across and they're not interdicted at the border, they will be, or if they, even if they are, they will be released into the interior of the United States. Yeah. I got one more quick question yeah. for you. So we talked about Biden's sort of scorched earth policy when it came yeah. to immigration. Yeah. Let me frame it up in sort of a climate change type question for you. Okay. So that some experts, you know, people in the field say that where climate change is, the earth has reached a certain point where we're, you know, beyond the point of no return or something along those lines. Okay. As far as immigration, I'm using the example. As far as immigration is concerned, do you feel like we've reached a point underneath the Biden administration where you know there's there's going to be irreversible damage to our country at this point or do you think there's a way you know ice stepping in a different administration that we might be able to see a change I think the administration I know it's bleak right now I feel it man I've watched this administration eviscerate all of the good work that the the good men and women of ice did while I was there um, and a good many of them are heading for the door they're retiring they're tapping out um, but I, I always try to remain hopeful because in politics, administrations change, but our mission set does not. DHS's and ICE's mission set does not change, right? We were granted unique immigration authorities by Congress after the 9-11 attacks when they formed DHS, specifically granting us the administrative authority to do administrative arrests. And if we have a new administration, it's not going to happen overnight to the listeners on this podcast. It will not happen overnight. But there can be incremental changes in our operational footprint that will work towards implementing the rule of law and figuring out a way uh, to put folks into their Title VIII proceedings and then on the back end, increase our removals of those that were not found to have a viable claim to remain in the United States. And it, the only devastating thing that I see potentially happening that I don't wish to happen, I don't want it to happen because I remember exactly where I was when it did happen mm. is another 9-11 style attack. No. Um, I'm old enough to remember I was in court prosecuting a drug possession case as a prosecutor when it happened. And those are moments in our lives that we will always have seared in our collective consciousness. But when you have 2.2 million people trying to come into this country, 70 plus are on the terror watch list that we apprehended, uh, 800,000 plus gotaways, you tell me, you tell me, do we know who's inside the United States? Did every single one of those person who was not vetted properly, do they, do they just want to come to this country and, and supposedly find a better life? Or do you think there's some that did get, come across un, uh, unapprehended who are here in this country ready to do us harm? And that's my concern, right? Um, so I hope and I do always possess hope that with a new administration, even with the new Congress, to, to peel back that, 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 that layer of, or, of transparency and shed light into what's happening right now in these policies that are putting, being put in place that are creating this horrible incentive for folks to come to this country illegally. Um, even with, with the new Congress, we, we should hold them just as accountable, the Republican Congress, mm -hmm. that if they want our vote, and, and the issues on immigration, well, you need to step up 
and do what you told you told us you're going to do. Americans are tired of soft on immigration politicians. Sure. No matter what side of the aisle you're on, Americans sure. are tired of it. Tired of it. We want our borders. We want our country back. And I completely agree with you on all that yep. stuff. So Tony, we know we're up against it here. Yep. Definitely appreciate you coming no, on. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it, guys. Of thank course. you. With me today on Understanding Immigration, I have Art Del Cueto. Is that correctly? Right, there you go. Yeah. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Uh, Art's with the Border Patrol. He's been there since 2003. His first duty was in Casa Grande, Arizona, where he helped the effort in establishing a new substation at Three Points, Arizona, along with a host of other things he's done with Border Patrol. Art, we're glad to have you on. Thank you for having me. As always, I like to do that little disclaimer that when I do these things, I speak on behalf of the National Border Patrol Council, not the agency. Uh, and that's important because if I spoke on behalf of the agency, you would just get a cookie cutter dog and pony show answer. And uh, I'd rather tell you the truth. So, you know, for those at home, if they're not as familiar with Border Patrol, would you say that difference is, you know, one works with the administration, one's a little more regulatory, one's more like a police force? What's no, the well, so, I mean, you have the Border Patrol. Obviously, we, we are supposed to patrol our nation's borders, although oh. lately what we're doing more is babysitting. Yeah, keyword supposed and, to. Yeah, and processing <laughs> under this administration. But, you know, we've worked with different administrations before. I've, I've been doing law enforcement for over 20 years okay. uh, down on the southwest border. And what I always like to say is, so I grew up on the border. I was born there. I was raised there. I worked there. And I lived there. I, I didn't, you know, show up one day and decided to do this. I've been doing this for quite some time. Uh, it's been part of my life, uh, my entire life, to be honest. And, and it's upsetting to see the direction that we are headed as a country. We always saw the, the problems that we would see on the border. But now those problems have expanded to the rest of the country. Yeah, it sounds like it's a really personal issue for you just based off of those three tenants that you put there. What do you think, you know, having this be so personal growing up there makes you different than other Border Patrol agents? Or what do you think makes this fire, you know, burn a little stronger <clears throat> inside of you? I, I think there, there's, there's what's called street smarts, Yeah. right? We all acquire them different ways. Yeah, and of course. And there's so much that you can acquire from going to an academy, but uh, it, it's a different perspective, a different feel when when you have skin in the game because you've grown up there so you've seen the ins and outs you've seen how they operate it, you, it it's just it's, it's a different feel uh having grown up there and, and mm. seeing the day-to-day -day, uh, lifestyle and how back in the day it was more of the mom and pop shops that would be the or operations that would cross illegals in, across the united states mm. they'd work for a couple of days and then they'd head them back now it's it's become uh, you know such a tremendous uh, money uh, scheme for for the drug cartels. Yeah. Well, they operate on the southern border. They're in charge of that whole area. They determine who crosses when they cross, and they do it deliberately so they're able to distract border patrol agents from one area to the other. That way, they can get either their product across or individuals that may have a more extensive criminal history into the United States. So speaking of distracted border patrol and, you know, the way that's almost intentional at this point, the way that, you know, we have aliens coming in, they're, you know, talking to border patrol one way, people running around the other way. There's a recent fair study that came out that we had 4.9 million border crossings underneath the Biden administration. Some part that I thought interesting about that number was the 0.9. That 0.9 came specifically from gotaways. Right. Do you think that's a big issue? Do you think that's something we're looking at it, here? It's, it's a humongous issue. And, and, and I know... Uh, it, it, people concentrate on that 4 million, right? But let me explain to, to, to the audience what that point nine is. What are gotaways? It is so easy to come into the country right now, illegally, turn yourself in to an immigration official, claim that you have an asylum case, and then get released in the United States. And then just, you gotta wait 
months, sometimes years before you get your immigration court date. Yeah. It's, that's the reality of how easy it is. It's catch and release. It's that easy. If it's that easy, can you even imagine the criminal element of that point nine that they are very much aware that they wouldn't even vet to just say, I'm here and let me go. That's how that's how horrific it is. And when you see that the agency has arrested individuals from over 160 different countries. And when you see that the fentanyl has gone up in this country, the amount of heroin, the amount of methamphetamines, drugs in general, how horrific is that point nine? How horrific is that group of gotaways that have come in? Where are they? And then let's look at it statistically and history. During the Obama administration, they had a large number of unaccompanied juveniles that were coming into the country. Of course, back then, those juveniles, they were 16 and 17 years old, but they were juveniles in the court size. Where are they? And those, they're adults now. You tell me. You're the border Ex- patrol. See, <laughs> see, see what I mean? And, and, and then there's different entities within Border Patrol. So you got Border Patrol that guards the line. you got the customs and immigration officials that, that guard the um, ports of entries. And then you have ICE that are supposed to do the enforcement outside once they're outside the line. So, But then you got DHS and CBP. So the leadership there needs to be asked. You're so sure that it's working that it's okay to catch them and release them because you're keeping record. Why don't you tell us what records you've kept of all the unaccompanied juveniles that were, came in and released during the Obama administration that are now adults? Yeah, yeah. And they won't have an answer. It, you know, it sounds like a lot of steps in the process there, and it seems like almost every day, and it's not something to help secure the border. It's something to open it up a little bit. The Biden administration always is changing policies. It seems like every week we see a new policy coming out, which is something that just kind of makes your job a little bit harder. Do you think that interaction between those agencies has gotten easier or harder during the Biden administration? No, I think it's it's definitely gotten harder. Uh, there's there's information that you, one area will have that they won't share with someone else. It, it's, it's just there's too many cooks in the kitchen, I guess is what I'd like to say and it's it has become a humongous problem because uh, aside from people not talking to each other you're seeing the policies that are coming up you're seeing the lack of policies and it all translates to this administration has created a magnet for the criminal element when when you have individuals that know that they just got across asked for asylum they're going to get released then it makes it easier for them to just do whatever they want because they're not getting vetted correctly. They need to detain these individuals at the border. You need to get immigration judges and asylum officers and asylum judges to the line, Mm. fast track these, but most importantly, detain these individuals that are coming across. Don't just release them. And and when you look at the asylum law, you're supposed to ask for asylum in the the first country you step into outside of your country. So we need to actually do sanctions against the countries that are facilitating travel of all these individuals through their country to get to our borders and then turn themselves in. Somebody's got to answer to that. Of course, of course. And, you know, we don't have people answering for it, really. And something I kind of want to understand is, you know, being a Border Patrol agent, you're you're right down there. You were telling me a little bit while we were chatting before this interview started that, you know, you got to go back down to the border in a couple days here. What did you say? So I still work the line, yeah. So when I get out of here, I'm going to try to get down the line and try to to work an afternoon shift or a night shift and see if I get some hours in. Because it's that that crazy right now. It's that crazy. I'm out in the Tucson sector, which leads the entire country in, in Gata ways this is the people they're getting away yeah and and but they're still having to get agents uh to work in texas so they'll move them around 
so they can assist with processing faster. That's what the joke around is, process yeah. faster. So they're more concentrating and processing and releasing individuals that we know don't have a real asylum claim than they are in protecting the border where the gotaways are coming in and the drugs are coming into a country. Yeah. A question I have is, you know, when you encounter someone at the border, you know, you're, you're down there, you know, you have your night vision on or however it is that you're looking for people. What, what is that process like? I mean, they walk up and then you get them in a group or what, what does that sort of look so like? So that, that's what's happening in a lot of areas uh, as, as well in, in Arizona. It happens more in Texas where they're turning themselves in. Uh, for whatever reason in Arizona, you're still having to chase groups. You're mm -hmm. having to track them. Uh, I've, uh, I work uh, specifically on the Tohono O'odham Reservation. It's a Native American reservation. There's different treaties that have been made with the reservation. So a lot of the technology that you can use in other areas like Texas, you can't use them in uh, on the reservation. So a lot of it, as primitive as this is going to sound to a lot of people, yeah. is getting out of your vehicle, looking at the footprints, trying to determine how uh, old that footprint is by the texture, by the sun, by whatever has, has turned over some rocks. And you basically do old-fashioned tracking through the desert, uh, up and down the mountains, until you are able to catch the group or figure out what major highway they got to and were picked up by a vehicle. Okay. It's 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 what you see in the John Wayne movies. That's actually what we're still doing in Arizona. Yeah, seriously, seriously. And now, do you think that's you know a lack of funding from the administration that makes it so you know you track that those way? Or are, is that the best way to do it? Those are treaties that were done with the, with the Native American reservation, and uh, and they're in that area. And you're looking at over 60 linear miles with Mexico. Um, but unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are living down there that are making a lot of money off of human smuggling and drug trafficking. Mm. So they don't want to change any of those treaties because then it would damage their illegal business and and you know the agents that are down there on the line each and every day they're the ones that are having to, to deal with it and then we're seeing a lack of enforcement against you know individuals that attack agents so everything is lined up for the criminal to succeed and for the law enforcement agents to fail mm. and that's part of the problem and I'll tell you one big issue and today I just got the news there was a, a Border Patrol agent down in, in my sector. Uh, a lot of people may have heard of Brian Terry, mm -hmm. and he was murdered by drug smugglers. Mm. He was murdered by drug smugglers 11 years ago. 11 years and over 260 days later, they finally convicted one of the shooters that was involved in his murder. Wow. 11 years it took for them to convict this guy. I didn't surprise and, and, I didn't say something about statute of limitations that's, on that. That's, yeah. that. I mean, if that isn't a slap in the face, I don't know what is. And, 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 and those are some of the things that we've been having to deal with for many, many years now. Yeah, that's terrible. That's terrible. And, you know, you touched on it a few times, and I kind of want to bring it up here, the drug trafficking situation, the fentanyl stuff. Is this something, you know, obviously we all know it's coming across, and we know it's, it's, it's really a plague on America right now, all this fentanyl we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. Are you seeing this typically with border crossers? Do we all think the there's more of an issue with the gotaways? You see it every day? It's, it's, what do we it's, think? it's every day. Uh, you know, the, the cartels are recruiting uh, juveniles, American citizen juveniles, to, to drive. They, they recruit them to be scouts. They recruit them to do pickups. They recruit them so they can go drop off supplies uh, for the drug mules to continue their their, uh, tra their travel into the United States. So we're seeing all kinds of things. It's it's every day. Um, what what is horrific is when you start seeing these drugs come in 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 the form that they look like candy. And now the latest is the fentanyl's coming in in what looks like the, the sidewalk chalk that a lot of these children use to just draw on the sidewalk. That's the reality of what's happening in our nation's borders. We have seized enough fentanyl this year to kill every single United States citizen twice. 
And that's just at your spot? That's nationwide. Okay. But every citizen twice. Yeah. And and something needs to be done because who's gaining from it? It's just the drug cartels. They're the ones that are gaining from it. They continue to bring their product across. They don't care what side of the aisle you voted. Mm. They don't care what side of the aisle you know your mom and dad voted. They just want to get the products across. They want to get them to the children. They got to get them to adults. We're, we're, we're losing Americans in record numbers. And one thing I'll point out, during the pandemic, the ports of entries were closed. Yet drugs were still coming in in record numbers. And the reason I point that out is because there was a port director down in uh, Nogales, Arizona, which is one of the largest ports in southern Arizona, that just got interviewed. And he said that drugs are not coming in between the ports. Now, let's get this into perspective. Excuse me? <laughs> you're the port director. Yeah. So you're admitting that the drugs are coming through the port. Well, maybe you should quit, find another job. Or start answering questions on why the drugs are coming through your port, number one. Number two, you're lying to the American public because when the ports were closed, the fentanyl was still coming in in record numbers. Yeah. There's a lot of, there's a lot of I, I, people just speak to speak. They, 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 they need to pay attention to what they're saying. It's, it's similar to you know, this administration saying that there's no problem at the border. There's no problem at the border. No one's walking across. And then a week later, they're upset because... Those people that are not walking across the border, the people that are not a problem, are in their backyard. Yeah, no, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. Well, you know, it looks like we're up against it here. Art, I really, really, really appreciate you coming Thank you in. For having appreciate me. getting to hear the Border Patrol perspective on this entire situation. And, uh, you know, maybe we'll have you back next year. Thank you so much. Yeah. And I want just to be clear I speak on behalf of the agents, I speak on behalf of the National Border Patrol Council. I do not speak on behalf of the Border Patrol. Understood, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Here we have with us Sabina Durden-Coulter. Do I have that correct? That's correct. Of course. So Sabina, she's originally from Germany, but comes to us today from Mineral Springs, Arkansas. So uh, Sabina, tell us a little bit. Obviously, we have everything here. Tell us about your son. Tell us about, you know, the entire story. I sure will. Uh, Dominic Durden, the love of my life, my best friend, and my only child. Um, we were pretty much inseparable from the day he was born till the day he died. Um, an incredible young man. It achieved more in 30 years than some people do in 100 years. Um, he lived life to the fullest without regrets. He traveled, he had a bunch of friends. Uh, he wasn't married, I didn't get any grandchildren. And when his dad and I divorced, he said, well, we just could be housemates. We shared a house and all that, because he thought I would keep doing his laundry and doing all of that while he gets to party. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so, mom will take yeah, care of it. Yeah, mom right? will do what she does best. So the first day that we became housemates, I put down my foot, put down the rules, and we, we really enjoyed a great life together, living in the same house for nine years. He always liked aviation, so he became a pilot, had a Cessna. Um, he enjoyed helping in the community. So he volunteered for the fire department and uh, ERF and all kind of things. Became volunteer of the year in Moreno Valley, California wow. in 2004. Yeah, it was, in, it was an incredible young man that always found time for his friends, for others, and then for me too. It, I, w I was never left aside. Um, and then he, he found his love for law enforcement and he wanted to start from scratch. He, he became a dispatcher, yeah. award-winning dispatcher, saved a, a couple of lives. And then he studied to become a um, motorcycle officer with his best friend, Chris, 
He inspired him, and his final goal was to become a helicopter pilot for the sheriff's department in Riverside. Um, life was good. Everything was going well. I had met a wonderful man named Anthony uh, three years prior to Dominic's death. And we just enjoyed life. We traveled, we rode our motorcycles. I became a motorcycle mama, mm -hmm. and just just life was really good and looking. Um, look, looked like we're gonna have a bright future until July 12, 2012. Yeah. The evening before, Dominic took Anthony and myself to the airport in Ontario to go to Atlanta for a family reunion. And I tripped on the curb at the airport and he picked me up and swirled me around, gave me a big old kiss. That's where Dom Hooks comes from. from. Mm -hmm. Told me he loved me. I told him I love him, see him later, and don't tear up the house too much. And I walked away, and I, wa I watched him get in his truck. And it was the last time I saw him alive. It doesn't get easier. It's 10 years. So we got to Atlanta, it was early in the morning, and we left the Waffle House after breakfast, and as we walked into the rental car, I broke down. It was like somebody unplugged me. I just just broke down, my legs gave out, and I could barely speak. It was the exact moment Dominic had, took his last breath. It was 5.45 on July 12th in California. Um, Dominic was riding his motorcycle to work, three miles from the house when an illegal alien from Guatemala with two felonies, armed robbery, grand theft, uh, one deportation and two DUIs, which he always received um, um, probation for, turned his unregistered and uninsured truck right in front of Dominic, hit him so hard that he killed him instantly and then threw him into a wall on the sidewalk. There were two people behind him in a car and they watched this horrific scene. One stayed with Dominic, the other one ran after the illegal to catch him. He was running away, he was getting away. Um, dispatch center was waiting for Dominic to show up for work and they getting 15, 20 calls about a fatality on Pitching Pass and they knew that was the road he would ride. And so they started getting very nervous, and then finally somebody ran the tag, and they found out it was Dominic, so they had to bring in replacement. They couldn't work. The first officer on the scene was his best friend, Chris, the motorcycle cop. Mm. He went into shock, couldn't, couldn't work the scene. The fire department showed up. They couldn't work it because they knew him. They was their favorite volunteer. So they, they got um, highway patrol and they took care of that. They transported Dominic on the fire truck, covered in a flag, gave him his last honor and took him to the coroner's office. So by now I'm in Atlanta, something is off, I'm feeling it. And my phone is buzzing and I finally I say, something's wrong. So I'm trying to reach him, I can't reach him. And then I call his job and I know all his friends. They would come to the house, I was their mom, they would hang out, we would have pool parties. And they started acting real weird. And then she said, well, let me, let me get the chief online. And those words you hear on, in a movie, mm -hmm. I'm so sorry to inform you, Dominic was killed. I heard them and I screamed and I just broke down. So we came back to California. I, I still thought it was a dream. I'm, I'm waking up from a nightmare, but it, it wasn't, it was real. Fast forward, we went to the spot where he was killed every day and I still thought it was an accident. And a cop walked up to me and whispered, tell the DA to tell you the truth. I said, what are you talking about? He said, it was an illegal alien that killed Dominic. 
So when I asked the DA, I said, I need justice for my child. Oh, we got you. We're going to take care of you. And let's not go to trial. Let's just have a hearing. It's better that way. And all that mumbo-jumbo that lawyers throw at people when, when they're... I didn't even know my last name anymore. I forgot to breathe in between or drink or eat. Um, the judge knew the killer of my son. The DA knew him. They had him plenty of times in their courtroom. Um, we went to, uh, had a hearing. The illegal alien was able to bail out of jail for $10,000. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. He came back. He was that arrogant because, well, there were no consequences before, so there won't be any now. He came back, and at the final hearing sentencing, the judge looked at me and told me, if I would have known more about this guy, I would have given him the full sentence. But I made a deal with him. So now they had to peel me off of the ground again because I just slid down, I passed out. Um, the judge made a deal with him if he pleads guilty to a misdemeanor vehicular manslaughter without gross negligence, he would give him nine months and five-year probation. And I saw him being led away by two of Dominic's friends with their handcuffs. And that was the only time he was really detained because he walked out 35 days later. It's so it's so sad to hear. Um, just hearing your son's backstory, just you know, I feel like I know him at this yeah. point. He he really is an inspiration to oh, us all. Oh, you would have gotten along great with him, especially speaking German and yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. So you know, I have to ask. Obviously, it's hard to talk about. You sure. said you've been talking about it for you know ten, ten years. years at this point. Yeah. What what inspires you to want to keep delivering the message, to keep talking to people about what's going on? Real good question. And the main inspiration is Dominic. Um, I still love him. He's still the love of my life. He deserves to be known. He deserves not to be forgotten. And during the last 10 years, I met so many other angel moms. Mm. And then with FAIR having me every year to come to Feed to the Fire, I meet sheriffs that have to deal with this. I meet uh, uh, farmers that have to deal with it on their land. And I, I listen to the news I do a lot of research and I think of the the women and children that get trafficked over here babies that get raped women that get sold into sex slavery that inspires me to keep talking about it because people like to put these kind of things on the back burner they don't want to talk about it it's uncomfortable they think if they don't mention Dominic's name I won't cry no, I, I cry in between. I, it doesn't matter whether, but I need to mention his name. And I wanted to become the spokesperson for him. And through doing this, I was kind of thro almost thrown into it, but I accepted it. I didn't hide. There were times I thought of suicide. Um, we have to keep talking about it to warn others that you can't be silent about this issue. FAIR's been doing this for many, many years, and people hear it, and then they think about their dinner or what they're gonna go shopping, where they're gonna go shopping. Um, but when people hear a personal story and see the emotions, and it's 10 years later, I still lose it at times. And yeah, you know, I didn't, seems fresh. Yeah. Um, I, I'm tired of hugging new angel moms. I'm tired of getting emails, calls, text from new angel moms that don't want to speak out, that can't speak out because somebody in the family is illegal or the, 
that the family doesn't want them to talk about it because you, you, you should shut up about it. They're dead now, let's let them rest. So that inspires me, but mainly my son and my faith got stronger. Mm. Uh, the man I met three years before Dominic got killed, who Dominic told me I'm going to marry, and I told him, no, I'm not. Mm. Well, we are married. Here we are. <laughs> yep. And he supports me in everything I do and strengthens me. When, and he's right there when I fall. Nobody else sees that. So I can come out here and roar. I'm Dom's mom. I'm going to roar. Mm. And uh, Fair has been incredible supportive uh the people here became friends family so for me when i come here it's like a family reunion and then i get a, a new family member of course yeah yes ma'am yes ma'am no I, I i completely like i i wish i could give you a hug right now you know just saying we'll how bad all later. this is of you course of course yeah. uh but that's it's, it's just such a heartbreaking story um i want to know you talk about other angel families yeah. and you know trying to get people to talk about the issue a lot more what is it like in those communities? What's it like when someone first comes in? How do you kind of approach that conversation with someone who's going through all this and it's so, so fresh? I just, like right now, there's a young uh, police officer that was killed in Colorado, was killed on her motorcycle, hit by an illegal drunk driver. So m what I do is I find somebody in the family that I can reach out to through me social media and I let them know that I've been through this 10 years ago Here's my personal cell phone number. Here's my email. Whenever they're ready, call me, text me. Let me know how I can be of help. Just I'm a safe place to talk to. And sometimes it takes them a lot of time. Uh, sometimes it's immediately. Um, but when, when it happened to me, an angel dad named Don Rosenberg, he lost his son, Drew, reached out. He saw me on the news. And before I knew it was an illegal, he knew it, he felt it. We now learn of the signs, the language that the media uses. And I never forget how it felt to, to talk to somebody who knew exactly what this felt like. Because I heard people say, well, I understand how you feel. I lost my grandmother. No, not the same. Or even, and angel moms are any moms that lose a child. The difference is if, if you lose a child because of an illness, you have time to almost get ready for that moment. Yeah. But when it's a it's split a second, and a psychiatrist, because I, I asked him, I said, I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting things. I'm, it's like Alzheimer's. He said, no, it's Griefheimer's. It's like you've been hit by an 18-wheeler. They backed over you and ran over you again, but you have no outer wounds. But your psyche, everything in you has been shaken up and damaged. And so you learn to deal with it. You become a good actress when you want to yell at somebody or just get angry. You learn to put on that nice face and just think in your head what you want to say. So it's, it's been quite a journey, but I got stronger. Um, I'm happy when I get to talk about Dominic, even though the tears flow, but it's therapeutic. I mean, I've been talking nonstop for two days. I'm, I'm exhausted, but it's, it's such a rewarding feeling. Yeah. Yeah. What do you, what do you think it will take? I mean, you know, you talk about the media, how they're biased on it, and, you know, you kind of have to put on your straight face and yeah. make sure, you know, you're delivering the message instead of being able to really express your true emotions. What do you think it would take for the media to actually recognize, you know, this is a crisis that's going on and something we need to take seriously? I always used to think that if one of them would experience this kind of loss because of an illegal alien, because this happens constantly, they just don't talk about it, 
I thought that would maybe bring somebody out to talk about it, but no. I don't think it does. I learned in the last 10 years that there's a lot of corruption. Our government is corrupt. They're corrupt um, members of Congress, Senate, that, that feel that we are just collateral damage. And the media is corrupt. We learned that the last couple of years. They, they, they went off on a guy who actually made a difference in our lives. And now they praise somebody who d who's doing the opposite. I, d I don't know if the media can recover. It takes maybe one honest reporter to start something. Mm. And I, I don't give up hope. I never say never. So it could still hope. Uh, uh, it could still happen. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I know I'd love to see it happen, you know, at yeah. least to be able to talk about it, to, to see, you know, someone take this issue as seriously as, you know, you, people at FAIR, everything yes. like that does. Yeah. I mean, because the last thing we need is angel families that are out there that aren't able to express no their more. grief. Yeah. And I mean, it, it really is a crisis what's going on as yes. far as this goes. And we're paying for our own invasion. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the saddest Speaking part. Speaking of invasion, I mean, yeah. you know, we, we look at fair statistics alone. We oh. have 4.9 million border crossers just under the Biden administration. That's alone. right. Have you noticed an uptick in angel families corresponding with that? Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely an increase. Absolutely. And for the existing ones, it just opens our wounds. When we hear a vice president declare that our border is secure, and I'm looking around in my own living room thinking, am I being pranked? Did, did, did she actually just say that? Then I'm ready to rip off my TV. I'm getting really angry, and it's not a good feeling. I, I don't like to get angry. Um, there are many angel moms and dads that retracted. They, they used to go out there and talk, and now they pulled back. They can't handle it anymore. I know of some that started medicating themselves, drinking more, because it's maybe the only way they can deal with it. And if it wasn't for FAIR, a lot of the statistics and numbers wouldn't be known. And then they attack you guys as an extremist group or whatever they want to call it, because the truth hurts. And the only way we can fix this is by somebody finally stepping up over there and saying enough is enough. And I don't care which side they're on. Um, the money that goes out to cover illegal aliens, everything that they need there, you know, I used to hear the, the, the um, what would they say, illegal aliens are in the shadows. We need to bring them out of the shadows. Well, now Americans are pushed into the shadows, and illegal aliens rule. They have different laws applied to them. Um, they have free college, free oh, health care, free, free anything They go to the emergency room. Nobody pays for anything, but we pay for it. Little hospitals go broke and have to shut down. So now the community that paid for that, they don't have a hospital. They got to drive hours. I live in a rural area, and it hit us with illegal immigration. A sheriff called me because he knew what I was doing and working, that I'm out there advocating against illegal immigration. And he called me into his office and shared with me about an 11-year-old girl that's getting raped by her brother. And they finally caught him. And while he was in that little jail, his father came to visit him. And they spoke Spanish and somebody understood and overheard the conversation. And come find out the father raped her as well. This is a little town of 1,200 people. So... People think this is just happening on the border because I talk with people everywhere I go because I don't care if you're Republican or Democrat. We don't need to talk about that. 
And I share with them that this affects you wherever you are in any town USA, because they live in the border. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. And you touched on something really crucial, I think, at the end there where you said, you know, it's, it's not just, you know, a one party issue. It's Republicans and Democrats really both need to bring this to light. And, you know, of course, you know, we, we were not able to see all the way over there. But over there we have Capitol Hill. We yep. have the White House. You think it's just the entire governmental system needs some kind yep. of overhaul. In this it does. And, and this on. has to be taken a little bit more serious than pronouns. You yep. know, because. Even right now, with the, with the, um, the the cost of everything skyrocketing, they're still trying to sell us the idea that that's what people care about is abortion and and the the, the rights of transgenders. Live your life, do you? But we have laws. We have laws and order in this country, because I tell people if we would just follow the Mexican laws of immigration, we'll be in good shape because they are a lot stricter. Here, everybody that comes in illegally crosses our border, throws up their hands and want amnesty now, or, or asylum, um, we're supposed to run and help because they have a hard life, they come from, from crime. Look around our own cities. People are getting shot in, in, in Chicago, in, in Baltimore. In Chicago, the mayor worries more about illegal aliens than her own constituents mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we, sh we, we saw it Martha's Vineyard yeah. wow 50 a whole 50 illegal aliens there and they got them out yeah, in 44 hours right? yeah. now they're only allowed if they carry a, a, a leaf blower or a lawnmower that's when they're allowed there because otherwise we'll give you some cereal we, we, we tell you that we're good people and then we send you back mm -hmm. so I want people to wake up. I don't want them to know what this feels like. I want their children and their grandchildren to have a country that I came to legally and was proud when I was sworn in in LA at the convention center. And I swore that I pledge allegiance. I got my little flag, I still have it. And I was told, and I never forgot, it was 1996. You should be, you chose to become an American. You weren't born into it. So that means extra. And I always felt that way. So don't step in front of the line of those who still stand there and doing the right thing, filling out paperwork, giving background checks. I went through six years of, of medical tests. I had to have money, I had to have a sponsor, I had to speak some English, understand English, know about uh, the government a little bit. And now you have people just jump in the line, getting in front, Asylum. I'm, I'm, I'm scared. And here it is. And while the, the rest of them who are doing it the right way have to wait. And in the meantime, we are being played. And we're being invaded and destroyed from within. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. And the only way these things are going to change, the only way we're going to get this message to light is if you keep on keeping on. Oh, You're I'm not going to stop unless you unplug that microphone. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of which, we're not unplugging per se, we but unfortunately yeah, we do have to end me. this episode here. We thank you so much for being thank on. You for Please keep up me. the fight. And Absolutely. We'll stop doing and what thank you're doing. you, Fair, for doing this every year. I'm so honored to always be here and, and be at the family reunion. You thank guys you so became great friends. We thank really, you. really appreciate it. Thank, thank you. you. Folks, thanks for joining us for Understanding Immigration, Hold Their Feet to the Fire edition. 15th anniversary made this event big and made it special, and I hope you learned something from the interviews we had here today. Thanks for joining us.